If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. Tonight's story is a classic case of be careful what you wish for. King Midas of the Golden Touch. First, a huge thank you to Envy Pillow for making these stories free for you and your family to enjoy. Envy Pillow came from a sisterhood of sorts. Two best friends and RNs, Kathy and Kim, who wanted a pillow that not only prevents wrinkles, but with its unique contouring, is now the only anti-aging certified natural latex pillow with advanced copper technology. Learn more in the morning at Envy Pillow. That's envypillow.com and sleep with the best. And don't forget if you use the code word DRIFT, you'll receive 10% off any purchase you make at Envy Pillow. Before we tell you the story of King Midas of the Golden Touch, let's get you into a comfy place of relaxation and of being ready to receive. Now, if you are ready, take one deep breath in and out. And now, in again. And as you exhale, feel your body sinking into your mattress, your chair, your airline seat, wherever you may be. This is a time for you, for rest, for no cares at all. Just be, okay? Now we're going to let your whole body know this message, and we'll start down at your feet. Now if you're able, I want you to scrunch up your toes. Now relax them, tense up your calf muscles, and let them go. Now your thighs. Tighten and relax. Let's move up to your backside. Clenching and then releasing. Do you feel the difference? You should start noticing how heavy your legs feel. Let's do that with your abs. Clench that tummy. Let it go. Your pecs, your chest. Release. And to your shoulders, bringing them up to your ears and then letting them release down, way down. Clench your fists, then slowly relax and open your hands, wiggling your fingers and waving goodbye to the cares of your day. Good. Make your arms rigid and then let them go your neck. Do you feel little crackles like I do when you tense your neck? It holds so much during the day, so just let it go. Release. Maybe you just let out a sigh. (laughs) To your face now, 
relax your brow your eyelids closing heavily and your mouth thank you for sharing this time just for you with one more big inhale and exhale think these words I am safe I am loved I am at peace and if you're ready let's drift we've all heard of the Midas touch that is someone who can turn something to gold simply by laying a finger on it now in modern times we use the term Midas touch as a metaphor someone who comes in and turns around a failing business they might have it but who was King Midas and where does this story come from well for the answer to that my friend we have to go back to Greek mythology and I'll do my very best to pronounce everyone's name correctly here we go this is a tale of a tragedy and a comedy the two faces of the theatrical masks if you will and it begins in a place that is modern-day Turkey but was then known as Phrygia once upon a time there was a kingdom that didn't have a leader now one did not simply elect a king there was no reality show or contest of strength or feat of bravery that would determine who should lead the kingdom instead the people went to their wisest soothsayer to ask what they should do now the oracle in these times was a priest or priestess who would convey the messages from the gods their words would then be taken as a prophecy or as advice coming from on high and so what did the Oracle advise the people with regards to their lack of a leader the Oracle declared that the first man who enters the city riding in a car shall be your king as the day went on along came a wooden wheeled cart in it rode the peasant Gordius and his wife and son they were on their way to the marketplace to sell the modest fruits of their hard work there was a goat or two some fowl and a couple of skins full of strong wine the crowd eagerly awaited their arrival through the city gates well, you can imagine how Gordius and his wife and son reacted when they were cheered on and hailed as the new king queen and prince of Phrygia the new king had indeed been given a glorious gift by the gods and to show his gratitude the former peasant tied up his rickety cart to the deity of the Oracle the statue of the God for whom the priest or priestess had been speaking and he dedicated his cart to that god now to make sure the gift was not taken gordius tied the wagon with the strongest yet simplest knot he could muster pulling as tight as his muscular arms could tug and with that gordian knot 
impossible to untie, he became the lord of all Asia. In fact, it was not until Alexander the Great came to Phrygia many centuries later that someone was able to cut that Gordian knot, as Alexander did with his all-conquering sword. But we get ahead of ourselves. For what, you may wonder, did Gordius have to do with Midas? I'll tell you. Midas was the prince. He was the son of Gordius, who, of course, was the king. In time, Midas's father died, and the prince became king. But, like many who are not born of royal blood, Midas struggled with the weight of the responsibilities on his shoulders. From the very day that his father had tied his cart to the oracle's deity, Midas had been schooled in the value of power. As he grew, so grew his appetites for more power, more power, and more power still. Yet he hungered for more than just that. Midas also knew the value of gold, and he thirsted for the precious metal as much as he hungered for power. Midas wanted all of the gold so that no true heir to a throne could ever dispute his own worthiness of being called king. Perhaps it was due to that insecurity, but clearly this was a young man of immense needs. But how he came to have the golden touch for which Midas is remembered, lo, these many millennia afterwards? Well, that's simply because of a good heart and a little intervention from the gods, of course. One day, Midas and his court were sitting quite solemnly when they heard a tremendous ruckus coming through the woods. For there, sitting swaying drunkenly, actually, on the back of a gray donkey, sat the satyr, Salinas, acting all foolish and carefree. Who was Salinas, you might wonder? None other than the teacher, companion, and guardian figure to the young god of nothing in moderation himself, Bacchus. Midas recognized Salinas as a friend of a god, and as such treated him with respect and deference, despite the man being rather silly and almost pathetic in his drunkenness. But for ten days and ten nights, the old fellow got everything he could have wanted, and then some. And when finally young Bacchus came around looking for his companion and so-called guardian, he was delighted to learn that old Salinas had been treated so gently and kindly when it would have been very easy to turn away or ridicule the man in that state. And so Bacchus told Midas, You shall have whatever it is you wish for. Did Midas take his time thinking over what he should ask? Not even a moment, for in the blink of an eye he had come out with what it is he wanted from Bacchus. Clearly, the young king had given this request plenty of thought. I would have gold, said he, much gold. I would have a gift, 
wherein everything I touched, would turn to gold. Even the most common and valueless things would become golden treasures. Bacchus knew to whom he spoke. He knew that Midas came from a family that was dirt poor and had toiled long for many years. He also knew the weight of that which was being asked of him. Still, he did not argue. He looked a bit sadly into Midas's face and said to him, So be it. As you will this, yours shall be the golden touch. And with that, Bacchus and his soggy sidekick left Midas and his court. All the while, the bunch of partiers weaving and singing as they headed back into the forest, away from the newly gifted king. No sooner was Bacchus out of sight than Midas tried out his newly minted, or should I say mind, powers. He reached up and picked a tiny branch off an olive tree. And there, the twig and its soft gray leaves turned heavy in his hand until they glittered just like the gold of his crown. Awesome, he thought, but he still didn't believe his eyes or his touch, so he bent down to where violets swayed gently in the breeze. Touching one, he watched in wonder as it, too, turned to gold. It lost its fragrance and light purple beauty, becoming instead shiny and firm, as did the grass against which he swept his hand. Like a cloth of gold it became. He rested his index finger on an apple, whose cheek had been warmed red by the sun, and there it was, a golden apple at his touch. On and on he went, touching this thing and that, until he was finally convinced that Bacchus's spell was not imagined at all, but a wonder that was now literally at his fingertips. He ran back to his palace, the stone pillars of his turning to gold as he swept past and touched them with his hands. They blazed like a sunset sky as they rose up into the heavens. The gods had not deceived him. He did indeed have the golden touch. Well, obviously this called for a celebration, and King Midas did exactly this. He commanded that a feast be prepared, one worthy of such an auspicious occasion. Here's where things really went sideways, and quickly. With the healthy appetite of one born a peasant, Midas got ready to dig in to the savory foods that his cooks had so quickly and bountifully prepared. But no sooner had he sunk his teeth into a bite of roast that it turned into a slab of gold. Garlic lost its flavor and became gritty as it turned into gold dust. Each grain of rice became gold as well, and so on. Even the sourest of milk would have been a dowry fit for a princess. Equally sour, though, was the king himself. He grabbed his goblet of red wine, 
only to find that it had become one solid piece of gold, wine and all, as it touched his dry lips. On this went for days and days. The king was parched, starving, and as you can imagine, quite miserable. He could only bear the affliction of his wealth for so long. And then what? There was nothing for him to live for. Although he could buy and sell the entire world if he so chose, what would he gain? Even little children shrank away from him, lest they become precious statues in his garden or for his fountain. He had become a pariah, a beast in his own kingdom, and so he fled. To where, one cannot know. For where on earth can gold buy happiness? As he stumbled from the palace, the weight of his heavy gold robe slowing him in his hungry state, he cried out to the heavens and the gods to please, please, take away his curse. He called, Save me, O Bacchus, a witless one am I, and the folly of my desire has been my undoing. Lift this curse, take away this so-called gift, and I will serve you faithfully and well for the rest of my days and beyond. Now Bacchus was many things. Known as the god of wine and pleasure, he was able to manipulate humans through pleasure, madness, and ecstasy. Surely what was to be ecstasy for King Midas was turning into madness, for the monarch could no longer eat, drink, or even seek comfort in the company of others. So heavy was the burden of this onerous gift. But Bacchus took pity on the king and heard his cries. He told Midas to go to Sardis, which was the city where most of Bacchus's worshippers resided. Midas should go to the top of a hill and find the source of the river upon which the city was built. And in that pool, said Bacchus, Midas was to plunge his head. Then, promised the god, the king would be freed from the golden touch forevermore. Midas thanked the god for his pity, and as fast as he could, bearing those heavy robes and all, he made the long, tiring journey to the city of Sardis. There, despite his hunger and thirst, he struggled to reach the top of the city's highest hill, whereupon he found a spring and a pool of water where the river Pactolus had its source. Crawling now, he inched forward and timidly but desperately plunged his head into the pool. He almost expected to be hit with a hard surface as the waters turned to gold, but wonder of wonders they did not. As he submerged his head and his shoulders, he felt the cool, cleansing waters taking away his cares. And he recalled in a flash the sweet joy he felt as a boy when he dunked his face and drank at a cool spring after a long day's work for his father and mother.
when Midas arose from the waters and shook his head, he knew right away that the hateful and horrid powers bestowed upon him had been lifted. For beneath where he had put his head in the water, he could see grains of gold glittering in the sand. From that time forward, that river was noted for its gold. You might think this would be the end of King Midas's troubles, but no, there is a footnote. So if you will, lend me an ear, and I'll share it with you so briefly as you go to sleep. Midas now only wanted a modest life. He only wished to listen to the pipings of Pan, a god of fertility and herders that was half man, half goat, bearing the goat's hind quarters, legs, and horns. There was one day a contest between Pan and Apollo, the god of practically everything, including music. Pan was tootling away on his pipes, while Apollo played a small harp-like instrument called a lyre. All who lived in the lonely solitudes of Phrygia listened to the music of these two gods. As Pan piped and made all creatures dance, he boasted that no one could possibly love the music of any god more than that which he made. Now, as you can imagine, Apollo wasn't going to take this boasting sitting down. He thundered back that Pan's soul was like the untilled ground. Your music is like the wind in the reeds. Would you dare compare it to mine, which is as the music of the planets? Pan splashed his hooves in the water and laughed merrily. Yea, I would, and I would love to play you a match, you on your golden lyre, and I among the reeds in the river. Just like that, there came to be a contest, the two gods competing against each other. And guess who was set to be one of the judges? None other than King Midas himself. Pan was the first to play, and as he took his fragile reeds, the leaves on the trees shivered, the sleeping lilies raised their heads, and even the birds ceased their singing so as to listen to the sweet sounds. The world became a more beautiful place, thanks to Pan's flute. And when he was done, as the earth lay breathless and mute in quiet enjoyment, he turned to the golden-haired god and said, Can you make music like that, my friend? Then Apollo, his purple robes flowing and the wreath of leaves atop his beautiful curls, looked down at Pan and smiled, saying not a word. Then his fingers nearly floated over the strings of his lyre, his fingertips plucking the strings in a blur of perfection, and every creature felt that it had been stirred by the notes emanating from the instrument. Throughout the world, wherever Apollo's music could be heard, there was no longer strife, 
all souls had wings, and those wings sped them straight to Olympus, home of the gods. It was as if paradise had come to earth, while those strings vibrated with such glorious music. Finally, it came to a quiet halt, and Apollo raised his hand from the lyre, and pointing at the judges, said, Now, tell me, who is the victor? The earth and sea and sky, and all creatures of the earth and sky, and those of the deep, all replied in one voice, Victory is yours, Apollo. Well, that is, except for one voice, that of Midas. For he was puzzled by the admiration for the sounds of the lyre, and found himself wondering as Apollo played when he was going to stop, so that Midas might hear Pan's gentle flute once more, for the notes gave him life. He thought to himself as Apollo played, I love the fragrant pine leaves and the smell of the woolly vine buds, the scent of violets in the spring, and the smell of freshly plowed earth. I want to drink red wine and eat and love and fight and work and be joyous, sad, fierce, and strong, and then to sleep the dead sleep of men who live only as weak mortals do. I do not wish to dwell on Olympus. I want to live my life to the music of Pan. And having those thoughts so clearly in his mind, he called out, Pan's music is sweeter and truer and greater than that of Apollo. Therefore Pan is the winner, and I, King Midas, give him the victor's crown. As joyful as Pan was at this news, Apollo was furious. With scorn, he turned his gaze upon Midas with a look that might have turned a sunbeam to an icicle. And then he spoke. The ears of an ass have heard my music, therefore Midas shall have the ears of an ass. With a start, Midas clapped his hands over his ears, but it was too late. Already they were long, pointed and furry, like those of a donkey. Most hurtful of all was that Pan and his supporters danced away, still joyful, completely disregarding the price their win had cost the judge, the king himself. Midas tried to hide his ears with the strangest of hairstyles, but soon enough the king could no longer bear the secret. He stole away to a lonely place, dug a deep hole, and kneeling by it, whispered to the damp earth, King Midas has ass's ears. Feeling great relief at having unburdened himself of this secret, he hurried home. But on that very spot where he lay bare his secret, rushes grew up, and as they did, whenever the winds blew through them, they whispered for all who passed by to hear, 
King Midas has ass's ears. King Midas has ass's ears. Do you know? If you listen to what the green rushes in marshy places have to say, you may hear them whisper it to you, too. <laughs> and with that, the tale of a king who had it all, wanted more, and then paid a heavy price for disappointing a god. Got an earful, you might say. I will wish you a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>